0: Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory of God's name, worship the Lord in holy splendor. The voice of the Lord is over the waters, the God of glory thunders, the Lord over mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful, the voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. God makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kaddish. The voice of the Lord causes the oaks to whirl and strips the forest bare, and in God's temple all say glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to God's people. May the Lord bless the people with peace. Holy God, like the magi of old, we still come seeking you. And as we seek, we know there is no surer place to find you than in the midst of sinners, just as you were at your baptism, bringing wholeness, healing, and the communion of your spirit. Be with us in this hour, we pray. Hear our prayers, enliven our hearts, and receive our praises through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace and peace to you and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. Both all of us gathered here in this sanctuary, as well as everyone worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather in the name of the Lord. And because it is in Christ's name that we have gathered, that means that our word of welcome is extended with no qualifying adjectives whatsoever attached to it. All are welcome in Christ's house. So all are welcome here at First Church. We do ask everyone, members and guests alike, please to sign the friendship pad that should be located on the inside edge of your pew, unless you are worshiping online, in which case your friendship pad is located on the screen that you click through to get to worship. So you can sign in after worship. For We'd love to note your attendance as well. We'd be delighted if everyone would also come to a time of fellowship at the conclusion of this service. That time of fellowship takes place in Old Buttonwood Hall, which is just out the door to the right of the pulpit and down a short ramp. There you will find that our deacons have prepared light refreshments for us, but most importantly, we will have the opportunity to engage deeply with one another in our common life. To that end, let me highlight a few things that are of importance to us as we look ahead. They're not in the announcements this week because it was a a full bulletin due to communion, but I'd like to commend everyone to look on our church webpage regularly for updates and also to look at your weekly e-news, which will appear in your inbox tomorrow morning from First Church. If you don't get any of those publications, be sure to contact the church office. We'd love to connect you so that you can know what's going on here in the life of First Church. Let me pull just a few out for your particular attention. The first is to say that we are in the process of finalizing our budget for the 2024 year, and your annual giving team would love to hear from you if you intend to pledge and have not. Uh, We can make sure that you have all the material you need for that. Just let me know after church. We'll make sure we get you that. Also, if you're uncomfortable pledging, but you know that your gift is going to be a recurring one, let our church treasurer know. He would like to be able to count that among the reliable income for the church. Even if it's not a pledge, we still are grateful for uh, knowledge of how we can predict how things will go during the year to come. And uh, finally, of course, we are grateful for all gifts, whether they are pledged or recurring or however they come. Your gift is between you and God, and, and we are grateful to be able to use it toward the ministry that God calls us to do here at First Church. I'd like to highlight something that was in your January Messenger, that's another of our publications that if you don't get it, we'd love to sign you up for, and that was the cover article. I want to ask you to put a pin in the date of February 17th. Dr. Brian Blunt, the President Emeritus of Union Theological Seminary, will be our guest that day as we resume our series, Conversations Worth Having. Got off to a great start, then we had a global pandemic, and we haven't done it, so we're resuming it this year. Brian is an expert in many fields, as I I noted in that article, but I have particularly asked him to spend some time on a topic called cultural hermeneutic, which says that we all read the Bible a little bit differently from each other, but there's validity in bringing our life experience to how we understand the Bible. But particularly in the environment of Christianity in the United States and in the world right now, Christians need to have a clear understanding of Christian nationalism and what it is doing to the church. And so I've asked Brian to have a particular eye for how we live our faith in times where that is a a part of the faith conversation. And I want to be very clear as I say this to you that I am very mightily aware that there are buzzwords that go around during uh, seasons of the life of the church. And we are, of course, approaching an election year. It is my belief that church is only church if we are able to love one another deeply enough to have important conversations. So I hope you will come and be part of this conversation worth having on February 17th. Look for registration details in the weeks to come on that, and of course Brian Blunt will be our guest as preacher in worship the following day, the 18th of February, and I don't think I'm overstating this, this to say I don't believe I've ever heard a better preacher than Brian Blunt. You will not want to miss that day in the life. Of First Church. So, with all of these things noted, let us now continue our worship with our confession of sin. A quotation, oft cited to Blaise Pascal, says, Console thyself. Thou wouldst not be seeking me if thou hadst not first found me. As we prepare ourselves to confess our sin, we do so not to an unknown God, but to a God who chose to make himself known to us in flesh, the Holy One entering into the waters of baptism to be with us, and even still, Christ is among us, seeking to be made known and to offer to us God's peace. So we need never fear confession, but only draw near to our God in candor, remembering that God, who has made us, loves us, and knows us. So let us pray together, first in unison and then in silence. Holy God, remind us of our baptism as we prepare to come to your table. Remind us of your eternal word, which surrounds us in love, calls us to lives made new in Jesus Christ, and gives us awareness of our sin. Remind us of your eternal love from the overflowing of which all creation was made and is sustained even now. And as we are honest with you and with one another about our sin, remind us of your eternal peace which passes all understanding and assures us of your pardon before we open our lips to pray. Renew within us the calling to live as your people. Remind us of the promises made on our behalf, even as we remember the promises we have made to you on behalf of others. For we offer all of our prayers in the name of the one whose promises never fail, our Lord Jesus Christ. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as his children. And because you are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son unto our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. Beloved in Christ, believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. For our first reading of Scripture, let me introduce our preacher for the day, the Reverend Dr. Lee Hinson Hasty. Lee is going to tell you a little bit more about himself before he begins preaching, but Lee is the Senior Director of Development for the Theological Education Fund, and we are delighted to welcome you to worship with us today here, Lee. Thank you for being here. Our first reading of Scripture comes to us from the New Testament, from the book of a- the Acts of the Apostles, the 19th chapter the first seven verses. Listen for the Word of God to us this day. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the interior regions and came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? They replied, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then he said, Into what then were you baptized? They answered, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Altogether, there were about 12 of them. Our second reading of Scripture comes to us from the gospel according to Mark, the first chapter verses four through 11. John the Baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of the repentance of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. May God bless to our hearing and our understanding these readings of God's holy word.
1: Before we turn to our next scripture reading, and the focus of my message today let me say how much of an honor it is to be here at First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, not only because you steadfastly support future ministers and have for decades through your annual gifts to the Theological Education Fund at the Presbyterian Foundation, but also because we have similar roots. Today I'll preach on the first few verses of the book of Genesis, known in Hebrew as Bereshit, or Beginnings. Your beginnings as a congregation, a founding congregation in 1698 of what is now the Presbyterian Church USA includes the baptism of the son of a prominent member of the settler colonist family from France who were Huguenots that were being persecuted. Elias Boudinot the third, a silversmith and neighbor of Benjamin Franklin. Boudinot's son, the fourth Elias Boudinot, baptized by George Whitfield, helped found the American Red Cross, the American Bible Society, and the Presbyterian Foundation. He was on the Continental Congress as a lawyer who could not afford to go to seminary, even though he felt very called to do so. Instead, he ensured ministry was done through the organizations I named above, along with being a trustee at Princeton University and playing a key role in encouraging our first US president, George Washington, to declare a national day of thanksgiving. He was a theologian, you see. At Boudinot's the fourth's death, his lasting legacy financially created the very first endowment at the Presbyterian Foundation that are akin to your donations to the Theological Education Fund that you've given since 1994. Yours helps seminarians pay for seminary while they're there, and his 1812 endowment continues to help first-call pastors Going to their first church, newly minted pastors with establishing their first theological library. And then upon taking their next call, should they have one, instructing them to donate those books to that congregation that first called them. Very creative gifts, and I hope that we can continue to be creative. So I invite you to listen to this word from God that comes to us from Genesis 1, chapter 1, beginning of the first verse. It's on page 1 of your pew Bible. I'll be reading from a slightly different translation, the Common English Bible, but I invite you to follow along. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was without shape or form. It was dark over the deep sea, and God's wind swept over the waters. God said, let there be light, and light appeared. God saw how good the light was. God separated the light from the darkness. God named the light day and the darkness night. There was evening, there was morning, the first day. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. God, you spend the whirling planets, fill the seas and spread the plain, mold the mountains, fashion blossoms, call forth sunshine, wind, and rain. We created in your image would a true reflection be of your justice, grace, and mercy, and the truth that makes us free. God, your word is still creating, calling us to life made new, now reveal to us fresh vistas where there's work to dare and do. Keep us clear of all distortion. Fashion us with loving care. Thus new creatures in your image will proclaim Christ everywhere. May it be, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Learning to sail as a child, teen, and young adult was formative for me. Heck, it still is. Every time I get on a sailboat, I learn something new. The thing that I'm reminded of the most is I am not in control. Winds change. Plans change. Courses must be altered. Tides change. Sailors nearby change. The sailors I'm sailing with change. Rarely, for example, is there a direct route from point A to point B but I have to tack from left to right if you're a sailor to get to where you want to go. Trim the sails accordingly. That's how we do this as a sailor. Rudder position and how you steer is not the only thing. It's how those sails are trimmed and how we deal with the the conditions that we are given. This is especially true when there are adverse conditions, dangerous conditions, like storms whip up, expected or not. What does a good sailor do when a storm comes? What do you do when it's dangerous to navigate the waters you're in for whatever reason that might be? Some would say, go into port. Great option if you can do that. Others say, anchor the, port, anchor the boat good option if that's possible. Some would say if you have a motor, turn on the motor if you have that option. Any sailors here, you have any other suggestions? What you do in adverse conditions? Well, I'll tell you, when I was learning to sail larger boats, I learned a technique. It's called the art of heave to. Here's how it works. The forward sail on the boat is on a close haul, very close to parallel with the boat, and you steer it very much toward the wind. As soon as you get toward the wind, you turn it across the wind, and you allow the jib, the front sail, to bend back and get caught, and then you cleat it down, and then you turn back toward the wind, and you allow the mainsail to luff in the wind, and then magically your boat does not go forward or backwards, but stays right there. That's the art of heave. There are stories of races and there are horrid storms in these sailing races, but boats survive because they know how to heave to. Chaos exists. Storms happen, right? So here's my sermon proposition for you today. God does not deny the chaos but is present as a creative force out of the chaos. God is with us in the storms of life, giving us the power to heave to. As we embrace our God's creative force, we find ourselves calming in chaos. When the going gets tough, those with God get going. Adverse conditions or chaos that's how many scholars actually would describe the first few verses of our passage today in Genesis. I know it didn't seem like that. It seems very orderly. It seems very neat and nice. We have the first day, let there be light. God saw how good it was, light from darkness. L- the light is day, the darkness night, evening, morning, the first day. And then I, know, I bet you know how it comes next is there's the second day, evening, morning. The third day, evening, morning. And fourth day, and then finally the seventh day, and there is rest. Neat, nice, precise, predictable, right? That's not really how the world is, is it? And I'll tell you, that's not how the world was when that was written down. The priests who were writing that down were in exile in Babylonia. It was everything but neat and nice. Their world was turned upside down. They were no longer in their holy city, Jerusalem, city of peace. They were in the midst of chaos. Out of that chaos, though, they began to see something new. You can see a little bit of that chaos in verse 2, where it says the earth was without shape. It was a dark over the deep sea. You see, seas, oceans, bodies of water in general almost throughout scripture and especially in the ancient mind, that signaled chaos. If you know another contemporary creation story to Genesis 1 from Mesopotamia, the Enuma Elish, you know about Marduk, the storm god and patron, interestingly enough, of Babylonia, who was in desperate battle to defeat what? Chaos. Chaos. That was a sea dragon in this story. My partner in life, professor of theology and ethics at Union Presbyterian Seminary, where Brian Blunt, let me say, please do come in February, was, is the president uh, um, emeritus. She wrote a 2021 book, Dutiful Love Empowering Individuals and Families Affected by Mental Illness, talks about this enuma, Elish. Marduk defeats the goddess of the sea dragon form, Tiamat, Along with her eleven chaos monsters, and then uses the very body of that sea monster to continue to create the world. This morning, one of the young women in the celebrate celebrate um, worship service talked about: "We're made of water. We're made of that chaos." Right? Gregory Mobley, Yale Divinity School professor of Hebrew Bible and congregational studies, explains symbolically: Chaos monsters are personifications of the disorderly, random, and untamed features of reality. The backstory explains that God has defeated but not obliterated the monster and that they invariably return to wreak havoc when humans inadvertently open the door to their cages through ethical lapses. Mobley points out that Tiamat's shadow looms large in the minds of the writers of Genesis and appears not as a personified serpent but instead as to home, its Hebrew meaning dark, shapeless, formless void over the dark and deep sea. But what comes next? That's not the end of the story, right? God's wind shows up, sweeps over the waters. The Ruach, Elohim, the breath of God, the Holy Spirit shows up right on time, right in the midst of that chaos to produce life-sustaining patterns for the whole of creation out of the very midst of the chaos. The chaos does not go away. The chaos is calmed by the creative force that the readers are reminded again and again that is God's, like in Genesis 1:10. God saw it and how good it was. Elizabeth says, almost throughout the biblical account, and certainly our own stories, human beings bring back monsters of chaos in story after story, but God consistently sends forth the breath that animates new life restores harmony, rebuilds cities and relationships in ruin, and creates life-sustaining community and belonging out of that very devastation, chaos, exile, and isolation. Do you know anyone in need of the breath of God, the Spirit of God, to animate their life? Maybe someone down on their luck. Or maybe someone unjustly condemned or captive in some way. Maybe they're in the clutches of mental illness or addiction, possibly unaddressed at this point. God does not deny that chaos, but is present as a creative force out of the very midst of that chaos. Do you know any places, any cities, towns, countries, homes, anywhere that needs to be rebuilt like the Ukraine or Israel, Gaza, or Des Moines, Iowa, or destroy homes physically or emotionally? Do you know any? God is with us in the midst of those storms as a life-giving power to heave to This may not be uh, can-I-get-an-amen-church, but I wonder if anyone out there would amen if they know about any relationships in ruin. They are like chaos monsters personifying disorderly random and untamed features of reality. Or maybe you know about relationships on the international scene. Amen? Or any on the domestic scene. How about relationships in need of repair in homes? or workplaces, or schools, or neighborhoods. As we embrace God's creative force, we find ourselves calming in the chaos. Maybe you personally are experiencing chaos or desperately need to find a way to calm. Something happened you could not control. Maybe you couldn't, could have, but you didn't. Maybe it's in your DNA or just because you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. When the going gets tough, let me just tell you, it's not time to say that chaos is not there. It's time to get going and reclaim God's creative force in your life and find a new direction. And realize you're not alone in that. Those moments where chaos seems to be taking over and hope seems to be lost, remember the art of heave to embrace the chaos and the storm and ride it out. God is present in the midst of that chaos. Just when we might think God is absent, God is abandoned us, God is with us as we faithfully remember what we've learned and we animate the creativity, live into the hope, breathe into the possible against all odds. When the going gets tough, those with God remember what we've learned and we get going toward the new life that emerges from the very deathly situations that are happening. Rabbi Even Mofik book, his book, Reading the Old Testament Through Jewish Eyes, devotes his entire first chapter to the concept of Torah. Torah has many meanings, including the first five books of the Bible, starting with Genesis. It means law, it means instruction, but it also means the process, he says, from slavery to freedom. That's Torah. The story of chaos from creativity to liberation Chaos and creativity, deliberation, to told over and over and over again. It's in our text today and again in Torah in its entirety in the, both the Old and the New Testament. Our story begins in Genesis with a creation story, but then it's really focused on families and relationships. Many of them, relationships and families who are struggling, spousal conflict, sibling rivalry, families experiencing trauma and tragedy they did not create famines immigrating and more. Just when the monsters of chaos seem to have won, God helps to breathe new life into the ones we thought they were dead, whether it's Abraham or Noah or Isaac or Jacob or us. Readers will see it again in Exodus at the very beginning, the second book of the Torah, whose uh, meaning in Hebrew literally means, Exodus, the road out from captivity to freedom. The freedom road begins with a beautiful and delightful story of Moses and the midwives to the Hebrews. I love this story. Shipra and Puah giving birth even to the young boys. Even though Pharaoh told him to all the midwives to kill those boys, the boys live. They come through the birthing waters of the Hebrew women. And they find new life, especially Moses. They come from the narrow places, that's Egypt, toward the open and promised places. God, you see, continues to sweep over the waters, the narrow and confining places, the death-dealing monsters, the chaos is calmed over and over again. Freedom found, the breath of new life, animates this journey anew. The Ruach Elohim, the breath of God, the Holy Spirit shows up right on time, time after time, producing life, producing patterns, sustaining patterns, For the whole creation out of the very chaos the chaos does not go away the chaos is calmed by the creative force that readers are reminded of again and again and god sees how good it is today we celebrate the baptism of the lord sunday in the church calendar it's my favorite liturgical day because it reminds us that god continues to breathe new life into this world So, so full of chaotic activity, death deals, and crushed relationships, dreams and hopes. It's a reminder that God knows us, names us, loves us, and sends us with the blessing of the Holy Spirit, the divine breath, the Ruach Elohim, into this world to be creative and life-giving, to come alive with the gifts that each of us have been given. Do you know this American sign language for baptism, anybody? Put two thumbs up. Here it is, you're going to learn some sign language today. Life seems great, everything orderly and neat. And then you turn it to the right. That's the baptism into the water. Things are chaotic now, right? But we're Christian people, right? I bet you know the rest of this story and the rest of this sign. What do you think happens? New life comes right out of that chaos. That's baptism. That's American Sign Language for baptism, I'd like to remember our baptism today, and I'd like to do that in a special way. I'd like to reread, just as our closing of my sermon, the text that Baron read from Mark chapter 1, Jesus' baptism. And I'm going to substitute in that story, instead of any time water is mentioned, I'm going to say chaos. You might want to close your eyes. You may just want to listen. However you can listen, I want you to remember your baptism or someone next to you or someone you know who especially is in a chaotic place. Listen for God's word. And as you will see or may remember, John the Baptist, not mistakenly, is kind of a wild, chaotic character. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem, the city of peace, were going out to him and were baptized by him in the chaos, Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who's more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy of to stoop down and untie the thong of his his sandals. I have baptized you with chaos, but he'll baptize you. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth and was baptized by John in the chaos. And just as he's coming up out, of the chaos, he saw the heavens torn apart, the spirit descending like a dove on him and the voice from heaven, you are my child, the beloved with with you I am well pleased May that be this day, and always, and all God's people said, amen.
0: Now having sung God's praise, having confessed our sin and been assured of God's forgiveness, having heard the word of God both proclaimed and preached, let us now affirm our faith. What do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, and the life everlasting. Amen. From the abundance of God's creation, we are given lives rich with blessing. There are no conditions placed on the gifts of God, but nonetheless there are expectations that we might live as vessels of the grace we have received. So as God's servants, full of grace, let us return to God a portion of our blessings with our morning offering. Almighty God, receive, we humbly ask you these offerings as commitments of as tokens of our commitment to know you, to love you, and to serve you. Bless them and multiply them, and may we be blessed as we see your kingdom at work among us through Christ our Lord. Amen. Friends, this is the joyful feast of the Lord, and Scripture teaches that people will come from east and west and north and south to sit here at this table with our risen Savior, who is even now the unseen host. We read from the pages of the Gospels that it was at table when the disciples first recognized their Lord, as he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they knew him. It is even still to this table that we are invited to come and to know our God, who calls all who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, to come to him, and receive rest friends all are welcome at this table it is not the church's table it is not a presbyterian table it belongs to none but our lord jesus christ communion today will be received by intinction you may take a piece of bread and dip it into the chalice if you require gluten free bread that is in the center of the plate come dear friends to the joyful feast of the lord the lord be with you, and also with you. lift up your hearts Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and our greatest joy to give you thanks and praise, O God of mercy and might. In your wisdom you made all things and sustained them by your power. You have called forth people in every age to be your servants and speak your word. When we rebelled against your call and turned from your ways, in your love you called us back to you. You delivered us from captivity and made covenant to be our sovereign God. You sent prophets to call us to justice and compassion. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with the choirs of heaven and with all the faithful of every time and place who forever sing to the glory of your name. of majesty and blessed is Jesus Christ, your son, our Lord, in whom you have revealed yourself, our light and our salvation. Baptized in Jordan's water, Jesus took his place with sinners, and your voice proclaimed him, your beloved. Your spirit anointed him to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, to restore sight to the blind, to free the oppressed. He lived among us in power and grace, touching broken lives with your healing peace. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. Remembering your gracious acts in Jesus Christ, we take from your creation this bread and this wine and joyfully celebrate his dying and rising as we await the day of his coming. With thanksgiving, we offer our very selves to you to be a living and holy sacrifice dedicated to your service. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these your gifts of bread and wine, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ by your spirit make us one with Christ, that we may be one with all who share this feast, united in ministry in every place. As this bread is Christ's body for us, send us out to be the body of Christ in the world. O God, as you once claimed us in the spirit's waters and number us among your own beloved, give us power to do your work, to show your love, and to live holy and joyful lives. Keep us faithful in your service until Christ comes in final victory, and we shall feast with all your saints in the joy of your eternal realm. Through Christ, with Christ, in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor are yours, Almighty God, now and forever. And as our Savior has taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. On the night of his arrest, our Lord took bread, and when he had blessed it, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, after supper, he took a cup of wine, and he gave it to his friends, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. For as often as you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's saving death, until he comes again. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Let us keep the feast. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you and we praise you that in love you have reached across the abyss of sin to bring us once more into your embrace. Having thus fed us at Christ's table, send us now to be Christ's body. For it is in his name that we ask all of our prayers. Amen.
1: Friends, the chaos is real. Don't be fooled by the facade and illusion that everything's in order. But remember, God is in the midst of that chaos, creating new life. It's a process from captivity to freedom and new life. And may we remember that God is with us, the one who created us, creates us anew, and empowers creation again and again and again. Amen.